Uh, my name's Nat, in case you don't know me. I'm a graphic designer. I live in Little Hampton. I'm married. I've got two children, and at some point in the next few weeks, we're going to have another one. So, um, yeah. Wonderful. Um, so, we are looking at the life of David. Let me just give this a click. There we go. Um, and that's our passage today. Joe so helpfully helped us with that last week. Um, and uh, we're just going to carry on um, beginning to set the scene of David's life and uh, having a good look at that. So if you've got a Bible um, and you want to turn with me to 1 Samuel 16, um, if you haven't, it's there. And I will read those 13 verses to us now. 1 Samuel 16, 1 to 13. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn of oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then made Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass by before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and was, had handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. This is God's word. Why don't we just pray? Father, thank you for your word. Oh, thank you, Lord, for your word. Speak to us, I pray. Holy Spirit, come and apply these words to us and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Brilliant. Um, the first thing I want to do, just by um, way of setting context, is just ask you how you get on with the Old Testament. Um, the Old Testament, I mean, there it is. There's, that's my Bible. It's a photo of my Bible, the contents page. There's 39 books there. Um, I think a number of people I've met over the years, they don't really know what to do with the Old Testament. They're faced with these books. Like, are they all the same type of literature? Are they different genres? How do they all fit together? Um, and there are a number of ways people have come up with for understanding the structure of the Old Testament. And I'm going to show you one now. And if it's not really the way you would do it, don't get your knickers in a twist. It's just um, something I put together. Um, but... Um, this, because what I want to do is show you where David sits in the Old Testament. 
So here we go. What I've got down here is 11 books, which you might call historical narrative. These aren't all the historical narrative books in the Old Testament, but here's most of them. And this is kind of our spine. And what I've done on the right there is just give them little titles, creation, calling, promised land, kingdom, exile, and return. So that's kind of our spine of the Old Testament. So when you're reading through the books, we saw um, a contents page earlier. Like this finishes about in that first column, and there's two more columns of books. Like what happens to those? Well, those all fit in. So a big chunk of prophets and things are all happening during the period of one and two kings. You get that? So Job, most people think that's a pretty early story. So that's sometime in Genesis around that time. The Viscus and Deuteronomy fit in with Exodus and Numbers. Then you've got Ruth in the time of the Judges. You've got Psalms, which probably David wrote in one or two Samuel. And then you've got all really the rest of those, as I say, are one or two kings. Then you've got this period of exile where the people of Israel, some of them are carried away um, by the uh, Syrians and the Babylonians. And then you've got Ezekiel and Daniel, which are prophesying in that exile period. Then you've got Esther, Haggai, and Zechariah that are, 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 are around in that time when they're coming back to Jerusalem. And then you've got Malachi right at the end there who's prophesying about what's going to happen. And then one or two chronicles, yes, they do overlap a lot of stuff that goes on in Kings. But if you read it, it starts with Adam and ends with the exile. So one or two chronicles really is a bit of a recap of the whole Old Testament. Now, I hope that's helpful, because right in the middle here, really right in the middle of the Old Testament, we have a king. We have a king. We have David. He is, he is this king, of, with God's, anointed with God's heart. And I think that's really important, because um, what you begin to see as you read the Old Testament is you see these patterns, or these shadows, or these illustrations, or these pictures of, of Jesus, basically, because David... He's pointing ahead to the New Testament. He's pointing really ahead. There is a king. There is a one true king coming. And these different pictures in the Old Testament, they either take acts of deliverance or roles such as saviour, king, priest, prophet, temple, sacrifice, faith and obedience of Old Testament characters, the suffering and the vindication of Old Testament characters. As you read the Old Testament, you see these pictures, whether it's coming through the Red Sea, whether it's David as king, whether it's these different pictures of Jesus all pointing us um, to the one who is to come. So hopefully that's helpful gives us a bit of context about where this story is in our story. That's a great website to go to if you want to understand the Bible a bit more. Some amazing little videos on there. Log into thebibleproject.com just to advertise that. Okay, what else do we see here? We see that it is set in Bethlehem. Did you notice that in verse 1 of our passage? Um, we're in Bethlehem. That sounds familiar, a king in Bethlehem. We're going to be back here in about a thousand years after this period. And uh, there's going to be, they're going to be looking for another king who is Jesus. And King Saul, it's worth just saying, this period when, as, as, as um, Joe did last week, you know, um, this is significant because um, Saul is currently king. And many of you know Saul. Saul started off okay, but doesn't take that long before he's kind of gone off track. And what we see, if you look back in the previous chapter before chapter 16, um, it's just a couple of verses. It says this, Saul, this is chapter 15, 24 and 26. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I've violated the Lord's command and instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. This is Saul's problem. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. So we're trying to understand this context. There's a currently a king who is more afraid of what people think than what God thinks, and who has rejected God's word. And that really is the contrast of David with Saul and so this is our context in the middle of the Old Testament story we're in Bethlehem which speaks of so much to us doesn't it today and Saul who's more afraid of people and has rejected God's word so as we work through this passage I'm just going to draw out three things 
And the first of those is risk and go. Sounds a bit like a hair wash, doesn't it? Or shampoo. Um, but God said, God said go. God said go to Samuel. Let's just see those verses. Here we go. But Samuel says, if I go, I might get killed. Now that is a very real, a valid uh, reason not to go, isn't it? Um, and yet, he goes, he takes a risk in following what God has said. I just wonder what that might mean for us. Let's have a drink. What does that mean for us in terms of, you know, when was the last time you took a risk in, in following um, what God said to do? Um, we were in LifePod this week, and um, there was a question that said this, what do you find most tempting to replace God as first place in your heart? And somebody said, comfort. And I thought that's, that was quite a good answer, actually. That was quite insightful. Um, because comfort is powerful, isn't it? Comfort um, is powerful. And it would have been way more comfortable for Samuel not to have gone to Saul, but to have stayed where he was. Because our desire for comfort can have deep roots. You know, maybe it's a response to our past experience. I don't want to just Comfort is a good thing, isn't it? It's good, to be, it's good to have some comfort in our lives. But perhaps sometimes it can hold us back because it's, it's, it's linked to our past experiences, um, maybe our financial situation, maybe our children's needs. Um, or maybe you just got yourself in such a settled position where so much rests on your current position with your job, your house, um, your school, your money. It would be genuinely difficult to root yourself out of that comfortable position. Or maybe you just enjoy it. Um, and yet, God's been saying to us, hasn't he? It's our tagline for this year, go further. You know, if we're going to go further, sometimes that's going to mean turning our back on comfort and actually taking a bit of a risk about following God. Not sure how it's going to turn out, but actually following God. And I wonder what that means for you guys. I don't want to stand here on a stage saying stuff. I want to see what's it actually mean for us in your real life. What does it mean to go further? Um, you know, I went for a walk on Boxing Day in the evening. Um, I mean, I was just trying to get away from my in-laws, but I, about nine o'clock, uh, I love Connie's parents, if they're listening to this on the podcast, which they, which they won't be. But um, about nine o'clock, um, and uh, we moved to Wick not long ago, and um, I just went for a walk down um, around and arrived at Heo Green. I don't know if you even know where Heo Green is in Wick, but um, you can kind of stand on Heo Green and kind of look out more or less, I would say, to the sort of the heart, the centre of that area, really. And um, and I know loads of good stuff's gone on in Wick over the years. I see Mark there, and I know other people, like Paul, and other people. Like loads of good stuff's gone on in Wick, and I'm sure lots of good stuff's going on at the moment. But it just just hit me. I thought, how who who how, who's going to bring the gospel to this area? What's it look like to go further in that area, bring in the gospel? And then I started to think of other areas in our local area and I thought of Littlehampton High Street and I thought there's stuff going on there as well like with the chaplains and with healing on the street but I thought there's room for more actually what does it mean to take a risk and bring the gospel to that area and I thought of Rustington and I used to live in Rustington and, and I thought wow who's going who's gonna to bring the gospel to Rustington what does that mean because God's call to go is almost always a call to go to the lost and the least if I can summarise it like that to go to the lost in those that don't know Jesus, those that have not been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus, and those that are the least, you know, the poor, the vulnerable, the forgotten, the uninvited. And that's what we see here in Samuel. David is the least in his family, and God calls him to go. Go to him. 
I mean, he's not even invited to this particular party, is he, David? And God's called us to go. Now, I don't know if any of you saw this interview in Christianity magazine um, recently with Jackie Pullinger, one of my heroes. Um, she's a missionary in, Kong, in Hong Kong and works in very difficult situations with difficult people. And uh, she was asked, why have you not written a book since 1980? She wrote Chasing the Dragon in 1980. Can you believe that? Um, and she says this, Now, I don't go on writing books about what God has done through us. I want people to write books about what God has done through them, not me. Otherwise, it's vicarious, isn't it? People are going to get all the thrills through what has happened through me instead of all the thrills through what God wants to do through them. I'm still working with lost people. I haven't got much time to go and write a book. My concern is that Scripture has told us clearly that we are all to be going. And the reason the Lord has left us behind is to do the job he told us to do. So we'd better get equipped to do it. Instead of living this life as if this life is it, it's not. This is a very short life. And eternal life is forever. We're going to feel stupid for eternity if we waste this one. Just put that up there to hammer that home. <laughs> we're going to feel stupid. We are. I mean, it's easy. Oh, we are. She's right. Jackie Pullinger is right. I think she's in her 70s now. She's spent her whole life following God's call. And of course, God's call to us will probably not be to go to Hong Kong like she did. But where is it to go? What is God saying? What is God saying to you about going further? And maybe the first step for you is you're not even open to the idea. (laughs) Actually, you're just cynical and you've tried a bit of that in the past and it's not gone. And and maybe God, to go further is for you to actually even become open to the idea that God might actually ask you to leave some things, leave some of that comfort behind and, and, and do something different. Maybe that's the first step. Second thing we see here is family dynamics. And, um, I'm the youngest of five boys in my family. Um, quite how my mum did it, I don't know. But um, I feel a certain connection um, with David. Um, in the sense that he's the youngest of uh, eight, isn't he? And um, the scriptures don't really tell us enough about David's life um, as a boy, as a, as a child, to kind of draw any conclusions about how he felt about that. But um, what we do know is that when Jesse is asked to, to gather his sons together, he ignores David, <laughs> and he leaves him in the field. Um, and in fact, in this passage, if you look at the end of this passage, verse 13, we don't actually get told David's name, David's name right until the end, until verse 13. Until that point, he's just called the youngest. Um, and what happens is that David gets called, doesn't he? You know the story, we just read it, gets, gets called, and his, his, his sort of position in the family changes from just being the sheep herder guy, the shepherd, to, to being anointed to be king. And um, what do you do when, when changes happen in your family? Um, when God speaks to you and says, actually, I want you, to, what you've been doing up to now, I want you to stop doing that, and I want you to do this. What, you know, what happens in your family relationships when God calls you out of the shadows into a different place? What will your family think? What if my relationships with my family change as a result of what God is asking me to do? Like, these are big questions, aren't they? Like, how is it for you and your family? Um, you know, I'd really encourage us to not let our position or our history in our family hold us back from what God is calling us to do, what God is calling you to do. 
But often issues in our family got a long history, haven't they? They've got a long history and they're deeply embedded, maybe have begun quite early on in life, um, and, and there's years behind them, years of weight behind them. And they may not change overnight, but if, if there is something there, I'd really encourage you, maybe you need to talk with someone, talk that through with someone, or get some prayer, certainly get some prayer about that as well. Finally, we come to verse 7, which, back to verse 7 really, because this is the heart of the passage. This is the crescendo of this passage actually. This bit where um, God says, David's got a heart like mine. Um, I think I've got those up there. There we go. Let's just reread that, shall we? But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, the Lord looks at the heart. Um, there's a number of ways to um, respond to this verse, verse 7. Um, firstly, you could just see it all pointing to Jesus. Secondly, maybe it's an encouragement um, that you're being faithful despite not seeing an awful lot or despite not having outward appearance, being impressive. Um, and that's an encouragement to you, actually, God sees your heart. Maybe the third way to look at it, um, maybe a sober, more sober thought here, is that when we look at our hearts, we realise our hearts are not like David's. Um, our heart isn't very good. And, and maybe the question is, you know, when, what do you see? When you look at your heart, what do you, what do you see? when you look at your heart because if I'm honest when I look at my heart I see a mixture of things um, some good and some awful things actually inside of me um, and just because David had a heart after God didn't mean that he didn't fail because of course we know that he did he, he slept with Bathsheba he committed adultery he uh, murdered or had a husband killed um, and of course after that David is so sorry and he prays this amazing prayer in psalm 51 and verse 10 just says this create in me a pure heart O god and renew a steadfast spirit within me psalm 51 is such an amazing passage of scripture and this idea of god giving us a pure heart or god putting his spirit in us to give us a new heart that with new desires. You know, this is found in different places in the Old Testament. You see it in Deuteronomy 30, you see it in Jeremiah 31, you see it in Ezekiel 36. And I'm just going to read you that one to close, really, from Ezekiel 36, 24 to 29. This is a prophecy. It says this, For I will take you out of the nations, and I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. And I will save you from all your uncleanness. So if you need to hear that today, these are God's promises to us. And uh, I'd really encourage you to, to take hold of this as you pray. You know, we can and we will pray for you this morning if actually you feel like you need God to do some transformation in your heart. But what I have seen over the years as amazingly transformative, uh, amazingly transformative actually in my own life, is sitting down at home, closing the door, opening up Ezekiel 36, 
rereading it and crying out to God and saying, God, come, please change my heart. Please give me a new heart with new desires. New desires for you and your ways rather than sin and uh, my own ways. And I just really encourage you, do that. Yes, we'll pray for you today, but this week, in the coming weeks, find some time. If you know there's stuff in there that isn't of God, sit down, open the scripture, and cry out to God. Say, God, come, you've said here you will give me a new heart. I am asking for that. You know, Saul was a person of his own strength, wasn't he? He was tall, he was strong, and he failed. And what we see in David is a man of grace. A man who, it was God's grace, God gave him that heart. And God forgave him when he sinned. And it was God, it's God that does this. We don't need clever strategies, although strategies can be good and helpful. What we need is a new heart. And as the hymn says, it says this, When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. So I bring my sin, I bring my unclean heart, to the cross, to the cross that Jesus died on. I see my sin dying as Jesus dies. And now I get exchanged my heart, my impure, my broken, my sinful heart for this new heart. That's where it happens. This transformation is happening. This clean, pure, free, whole, alive. That's what God wants for us. That's what God's got for us. Why don't we pray? Why don't the band um, come up? Becca, if you want to come up as well. Why don't we stand as well? Is that okay? If you want to, you don't have to. But. Let me just pray for us and I'll hand over to Becca and the guys. Father, thank you for your promises. Thank you that you see the truth about us and that you love us. Thank you that you have the power to change us. Thank you for all the change you have brought to people in this room already. Holy Spirit, come and lead us in how we should respond. Come and lead us, Lord, I pray. Draw near, Lord, as we draw near to you, you've said that you will draw near to us. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Just wait, wait for him. Come, Holy Spirit.